From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. As of 4.30 yesterday, the majority of debris has been cleared from Gasno Avenue and the road is open to traffic. Clearance work began yesterday morning and resulted in about 15 truckloads of material debris cleared from the site, according from the city. Debris remaining alongside the right-of-way will be cleared this morning. Work will begin at about 8 and is anticipated to be complete no later than 10 a.m. The public is asked by the city to minimize traffic on Gasnow Avenue to ensure safety and allow clearance work to be completed as swiftly and smoothly as possible. City Public Works will continue to monitor the site through the upcoming weekend as weather forecasts anticipate additional rain. The City and Borough of Juneau Planning and Zoning Commission has approved a request from a local church and its cold weather shelter. Resurrection Lutheran Church in downtown requested two modifications to its conditional use permit for a cold weather emergency shelter. First, the church requested to change the opening time for the shelter to one hour earlier at 8 p.m. and to close one hour later at 7.30 a.m. Community Development Department Scott Chambor explained... The applicant, uh, Resurrection Lutheran Church, submitted a conditional use permit uh, application requesting uh, changing the hours of operation uh, to 8 p.m. to to 7.30 a.m. It basically, because in finding of operations last year, um, they felt like uh, bringing people in when it was colder uh, was more appropriate in the evening, and then uh, 7.30 was more of a... Uh, a, a reasonable time to, to close the shelter so that people could get to bus lines and, and, and so on and so forth. The church also requested to begin operating the shelter two weeks earlier, on October 15th, rather than November 1st. Typically, the contract for the cold weather shelter was uh, dates November 15th through April 15th, but however, you know, there have been increasingly colder nights uh, in late October, even mid-October these days. Uh, where it gets below 32, and uh, the applicant wanted the discretion to be able to open on those days. The opening date condition was removed since, in the city's contract with the church, when the temperature drops below 32 degrees, the shelter would open automatically. Travel Juno Executive Director Liz Perry was on Action Line and spoke to her observations of this year's tour season. There's been struggles with workforce shortages, Perry said. It's what everyone has been hearing uh, from, like, all over the U.S. This is, this is a nationwide, matter of fact, an international problem as well. But most of our operators uh, did find themselves in a position where they would have to uh, cut a shift. They would have to cut a, uh, an excursion simply because they did not have staff to adequately cover uh, that experience. So a lot of our middle managers, our owners are stepping up to the plate, filling in those gaps and and working those things out themselves. And we're working uh, together with Alaska Travel Industry Association, working on solutions to that. April 25th was the first cruise ship this year to Juneau, and next year it's scheduled to be April 17th. For the last ship, it is October 18th this year, and next year it is the 25th. Perry said the season expanding will need to be discussed with cruise lines. It is a big concern uh, for us, and I know for our operators, uh, generally operators cannot get staffed up and get going much before May. They are reliant upon students coming in from college, getting out of school. And the same thing is true on the other end of the year uh, with 
departures of people getting ready to do other things down south, going back to school. So staffing and keeping operations going in those really long shoulder seasons is something we need to take a really good hard look at and and have that conversation with the lines. Travel Juno's Liz Perry. Members of the group Yes on Proposition 4 advocates for the repeal of mandatory disclosures of home sales in Juneau, spoke on Action Line about the ballot question. Southeast Board of Realty President-elect Ann Sparks talked about the progress of events leading up to the group forming. In November of 2020, had the assembly meeting passing the ordinance. Um, we did have some realtor representation, some uh, broker owners who did um, testify in front of the board. Um, but it was very clear that the assembly had already made up its mind. Um, and at no time had they actually reached out to speak with us directly on how this would impact Juno, Juno housing, uh, real estate in particular, but mainly how this would affect the citizens of Juno and uh, how housing affordability, um, as well as being able to house workforce, and and the implications of what mandatory disclosure means uh, for your price and your assessment. The city's voter information guide said the repeal of the ordinance will not cause property assessments to increase or decrease. Southeast Board of Realty President Tonya Mosier was asked for her thoughts on that. I find that hard to believe. I can't imagine what other argument they would have for changing a state law that, you know, a state policy that says we're a non-disclosure state, making us a disclosure city if it isn't to generate revenue. And I think the issue is, again, that it happened, you know, in the under the cloak of COVID when when things were pretty shut down. Right after COVID or right during COVID, we saw a huge increase in, in property buying and selling and prices went astronomical. I mean, I think everybody in in Juneau has heard the stories of of houses selling for quite a bit over what they were valued at and and even what they were appraised at. And so, of course, that will affect, you know, if only 5% of the homes in Juneau have sold, 95% of everybody else is going to have their property taxes based on these homes that have sold for astronomical prices. Both made the remarks on Action Line. The Juno Assembly's Committee of the Whole took up the question of off-street parking management during their meeting this week. Deputy City Manager Robert Barr, parking areas they currently manage. Currently, our Parks and Rec Department manages two parking garages, the Downtown Transportation Center and the uh, Marine Parking Garage, as well as two parking lots. Um, the way we do daily payment for parking in all four of those facilities and the way we do monthly and annual permit uh, permits in those facilities is uh, painful and, and cumbersome and manual. Uh, it requires quite a bit of staff time. Barr wrote that their existing parking management practices are largely manual and present a number of problems and challenges. Right now, um, CBJ employees um, manually print and and laminate uh, all of the thousands of parking permits that we issue every year. Um, that that would shift to an electronic process um, that the software provided by a contractor would would provide. In addition, he says most municipalities that manage parking have switched from manual parking management practices to computerized parking access. We intend here to um, contract, uh, to put out our our request for proposals or something like that, request for professional services that a major parking vendor would, would bid on to provide the same type of both daily and uh, monthly annual based parking 
services in our off-street parking garages and lots downtown. Barr wrote that city staff will proceed with a request for proposal and bring the results back to the assembly at a future date. Alaska Native Sisterhood Camp 2 will be holding a morning wave at the Mennonite Wetlands pullout tomorrow at 6.45 to mark Orange Shirt Day. Jamie Ann Hasselquist of Camp 2 spoke about Orange Shirt Day. That's a day of an international remembrance for the individuals who didn't return home from residential boarding school institutions. It's also a time that we can honor the people who have returned and recognize the harms that have been done on the community and descendants. So we're raising awareness. Asaquist said the orange shirt represents Phyllis Webstad's own orange shirt that was taken from her while at a residential school. Her grandmother took her to town to buy her a new shirt for school. It was an orange, shiny shirt. And when she arrived to the residential boarding school institution, they, they took her shirt and her clothing, and she never saw it again. And so later in life, she told her story, and it has turned into what it is today. It's taken on a life of its own internationally. And, um, yeah, so it started in Canada. And we are continuing here in the United States as the Department of Interior is investigating these residential boarding school institution sites. The Sitka Assembly moved to extend its bear task force during its meeting this week. Crystal Duncan is one of the Assembly members that brought the extension forward. She spoke about what the task force has done. We wanted them to meet for a duration of six months and then come back with recommendations on what assembly action can be taken. So they formed, it was actually a a large body because we wanted representatives across different organizations who were stakeholders in the uh, bear problem that we experienced. So of course the previous summer, uh, 14 bears had to be put down. And then um, we had heavy traffic, I believe it started late July and it basically went through November. So we had bears who were frequently frequenting the city and, and we as assembly members were hearing from the community saying, what are you going to do? So um, we brought together the task force to see if they could look into uh, previous remedies that we had in place. Are those sufficient? What are other communities doing? The assembly moved to extend the bear action task force by three months. Special reports were given. Two major reports came from the Sitka Tribe of Alaska and a Planning and Community Development Director in Sitka. Tribe Chair Woody Woodmark spoke to the Assembly about the tribe's business. He spoke to education funding and a pair of resolutions. Council looked at uh, uh, increasing higher education funding uh, within the education department for our students. Uh, A couple of resolutions with the Forest Service, potentially maybe a formation of a forest partnership between STA and the Sitka Ranger District, and the development of a special forest product plan with the Sitka Ranger District was also looked at. When Mark said elections and a financial audit were also discussed, Amy Ansley, Sitka's Planning and Community Development Director, explained that the end of tourism season survey is now available. The end of season tourism survey is available for the public to take, for the community to take. It is online at cityofsitka.com. It's there on our front page under current news, and there's also a link on the planning department's page as well. We will be putting out paper copies at City Hall and at the library tomorrow as well. We've heard some feedback that paper copies would be appreciated, so those will also be some spots to access a paper copy. The survey in Sitka will be open through mid-October. 
There have been no major injuries or loss of life due to the major storm that hit western Alaska. Todd Smolden from the governor's office spoke to preparations that made the difference while on the KINY morning show. The event out in, in western Alaska, fortunately, uh, in that situation, there also wasn't uh, any loss of life uh, reported um, uh, as of yet. Uh, hopefully it'll stay that way, but um, that was really, I think, a testament of, of the communities getting together, uh, information from the state, so some advance warning, and they, they had uh, some community meetings, some, some radio, um, you know, preparation uh, interviews and things like that that people tuned into. So um, certainly a, a very large event that have, uh, impacted a big area. Smolden said relief from the state and federal government is on the way. It's looking good, though, as far as state assistance. Um, we also had a, an expedited federal disaster declaration declared, which is not, uh, that's not uh, a regular occurrence, really. So uh, the governor is thankful for that, um, that uh, President Biden acted quickly on that. So, um, so it, you know, it's, it, it never looks good when you have an event like that. But in terms of recovery, it is looking good. The Food and Drug Association is updating its definition of the word and some foods that didn't make the cut before, they do now. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze explains. The Food and Drug Administration reports more than 80% of Americans aren't eating enough vegetables, fruit, and dairy. Now the agency is trying to change that with a new definition of the word healthy. The FDA says food packaging labeled as healthy should adhere to limits of certain nutrients like saturated fat, sodium, or added sugars. Nutrient-dense foods like salmon or nuts could now be considered healthy when they weren't before, even though they're higher in fat. The FDA is also pushing for nutrition labels to go on the front of packages instead of the back. Elizabeth Schulze, ABC News, Washington. Never miss a story or a newscast at KEINYradio.com. Now you're up to date for News of the North. This is Kevin Allen.